0: Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Today's teaching text
1: comes from Mark 15, 1 through 32. Very early in the morning... and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you so much. Um, well, here we are. We're uh, moving through Mark's Gospel here at Lent, and what we're actually getting um, in this text—thank um, you for being patient. It's very long, uh, but it's a narrative, and it's important to read uh, a full narrative so you can grasp uh, the whole of it. Um, but what we're getting is a source document to the Christian faith. Mark's Gospel is uh, likely the first gospel written, um, and uh, we were just talking about this in our community group this week, but. Um, most scholars actually agree that uh, Mark's gospel is eyewitness testimony from Peter. And so we're actually getting um, like Peter's vision of Jesus um, in the gospel of Mark. And yes, we've been in the gospel of Mark for a year and a half. It's been a long time. Um, but we're going to finish in two weeks. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we've gone on this journey and I'm, I'm going to be glad to, to finish. Uh, but one of the things that we're doing um, when we're... Um, When you're in community group, or you know, when you're sitting in this environment, is uh, we're engaging with the text, right? You're you're hearing it, you're reading it, you're understanding it, but simultaneously, you you and I are actually bringing our own hearts and minds to the text. You're bringing your life, you're bringing your work and your friendships and your wins and your losses, um, and you're bringing them all to the text. Um, And it's almost as if you know we're we're reading it, we're learning about Christian principles, we're learning about Jesus. Um, But none of it is actually detached from our lives. And one of the things I think that's really important in this sense is that subconsciously, we come into environments like this and we actually have a lot of questions, right? And maybe they're theological. Is there a God? Is God personal? Does God want something from me? God, uh, are you there? Do you care? Or maybe it's not um, so, like, ontological um, pertaining to God in that way, but maybe it's more around meaning and purpose, What brings me the deepest joy as a person? What should I do with my life? I don't know about you, but I often sit in church and I'm I'm running um, decisions through what I'm hearing, right? I'm trying to gain um, wisdom so that I can actually make wise decisions. Um, Maybe what you're wondering is sort of relational. Can I find true and lasting friendships in this community? What went wrong with a a previous uh, religious experience? Or Maybe you, you come and you think of matters of inclusion or exclusion, and there's sort of wrestlings going on. And these are all really good questions, and I don't say this in a trite way at all. Um, this comes through study and thinking a lot about this, but many, many of these questions that we have are actually answered in the person of Jesus, and they're answered specifically in his work on the cross. And that's what I want to do today is I want to try and bridge our understanding of the cross. We read the historical account. I want to kind of walk us through some of the details of that. But what does the cross actually mean um, for you and I today? So, so that the cross isn't this sort of otherworldly, weak, or benign thing, um, I would actually love to see um, what we... Um, what we could uh, garner from the cross as a, uh, an understanding for the here and in the now. And this is going to make more sense in a few minutes here. But in our passage, um, Jesus is facing one of the darkest moments of his life, and it begins with an unjust legal system. And it's interesting, when you read our chapter here, Mark is um, long, but he's not the detail guy. He's not giving you, a t- you and I a ton of detail. Um, but one of the things that becomes exceedingly important is the, the timeline. Jesus's arrest, trial, and punishment, his crucifixion, and then death uh, happen in a very short period of time. Uh, think crime drama like law and order, right? In one compact hour, what do you get? You get uh, a crime, an investigation, a trial, and a sentencing, all right? So it's very quick in that, in that way, and everything we just read actually happens in one day. Je- uh, Jesus is moved from trial To trial, There's two trials, and then a sentencing, and then to his death. The first uh, trial is a Jewish trial. And Jesus is captured by the religious leaders of his day. And the question for for Jesus here is, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's going to come and to save your people, Israel? And they really don't want to know. If you read the text, it's very obvious. This is the chapter before. They don't really want to know. They don't care. They're not trying to actually understand. Um, In fact, they've already sort of pronounced him guilty. Jesus in this time for these religious leaders is a threat to um, their security, their prestige, their power, and their wealth. Um, And Jesus's response in chapter 14 is actually quite interesting. Um, He uh, is pretty quiet, almost, almost seems sort of passive. You say that I am. That's his response. And what we get from Jesus, which is, you know, already a good learning for us, is a sort of quiet humility, a sort of tenderness. This is what it says in chapter 14 at the end here. It says, They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So even here at Jesus' first trial. He's um, facing physical abuse, verbal abuse, and we're going to talk about that more in just a second. But one of the points that um, the gospel writers want to make clear here is that Jesus is utterly alone. Matthew 26, 56 says, Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So here's his greatest hour of need, and he has nobody with him. The religious leaders... um, At this time, though, they don't want blood on their hands. And so the easiest way for them to um, have Jesus killed is to pit um, Jesus against Caesar, against Rome. And so Jesus is moved. This is where we picked up our text um, to a Roman trial. And so Jesus is transferred to Pilate. We find Pilate in the text um, as a people pleaser. His responsibility is to keep the peace. And this question here is a really dramatic moment. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? I find this to be an interesting moment because this is a time where uh, Jesus has an out, right? Like Jesus could actually say no, and they're not going to charge me with anything. And so he could just move on. Now, if you, wouldn't, if you, if you would say to this morning, like, I don't know about Jesus's divinity, right? Like a, a person in history, sure, but like, does Jesus actually matter? Um, was he God in the flesh? Well, one thing you have to actually deal with is that this text doesn't make any sense if Jesus isn't who he says he is. This, this, this text would actually make no sense. He would probably just say, no, I'm not the king of the Jews. Um, otherwise, Jesus was sort of killed as a, a martyr, right? Or Jesus was killed by a group of jealous people group of jealous people or sort of caught in the middle of political upheaval. But that's actually not the story. And the cross is not happening to Jesus, right? Like, there's one way of reading this passage and you say, oh, you know, man, that, that's really bad for Jesus that he had to do that. But that's, that's actually not the text. Here's John uh, chapter 10, verse 18. No one takes it from me, he's talking about his life, but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And so Christ's death is an act of obedience and faithfulness to the Father. And in fact, what you could actually look at the passage and say is this this passage actually answers the question, why did Jesus come? And the answer is, Jesus came to die. Not, Not just... To, to, sh- to give us an example of how to be uh, fully human uh, or, or to show us what God is like. But actually what Jesus came to do is that he came to die. And then in verse 16, the story sort of comes together. The soldiers led Jesus away into, that, into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, king of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. And then skipping to verse 24, it says this. And they crucified him. Dividing up the clothes, they cast Lot to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Now, one of the things I I, I found interesting this week in in reading this passage is um, you're not getting a ton of gory details, right? Um, Think like Passion of the Christ, right? You're seeing that this is, um, of course, brutal, um, but you're really not um, getting as much of the physical nature of the crucifixion, but you're getting a lot of the psychological, the mocking and um, the um, the intensity relationally. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you've heard before, um, someone trying to interpret the cross in modern terms and they would say, um, you know, it's a, a form of capital punishment, um, like the electric chair. Um, and like having a cross tattooed uh, or um, wearing a necklace would be like wearing an, electric, um, wearing an electric chair or getting like an electric chair tattooed on you. A um, couple problems here. Um, electrocutions um, were actually meant to kill people quickly and humanely, right? The, the person facing the electric chair would be permitted the, the dignity of a mask or a hood, and um, this type of execution would actually be done um, privately, like in a room. Crucifixion, on the other hand, is designed not to be quick, but actually to prolong pain. And it wasn't about um, preserving dignity in any way, but it was actually um, done in public, and um, the attempt was to be um, as brutal as possible. And this should not actually be understated. The function of crucifixion was actually um, the elimination of a person's identity as a human being. And the goal was dehumanization. It was a sort of public announcement that this person is the scum of the earth and they are not worthy to live. And so in this moment, Jesus is utterly abandoned. And we we could even um, call the cross godless in, in that sense. And yet there's a sort of beauty and mystery to this thing we call the cross. There's been a song we've been singing. um, We sang it last week, I think even the week before, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I just want you to, I think this is really helpful in thinking about what the cross is, how the cross unfolds. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Meaning the cross exists because we sin, right? And sin, yes, in the the biblical understanding is um, um, breaking God's law. But as we grow in our understanding of of sin, we could actually, um, it, it may be more beneficial to say that sin is breaking God's heart. And in this sense, sin separates us from a holy God and in the cross we actually get an understanding of what true love really is. And so here's a question I, I want to I answer with the rest of our time here. Um, we looked at this historical account, but my question then becomes, why? Why did Jesus have to die? And I saw this during our community group this past week. Jesus, Jesus even asks this question in uh, in Mark chapter 14. And he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What's he asking? He's saying, is there another way? Why is death necessary? Could it be less painful? Could, could there be another way? And so I think that's actually a really important question. Why did Jesus have to die? So I want to answer this question here um, in, in these three parts, the cross And genuine forgiveness, the cross and sacrificial love. And then I want to talk about the cross in our community here. Um, Why did Jesus have to die? first one is this, the cross and genuine forgiveness. So a few years ago, uh, Katie and I, uh, we wanted to get out of the city. It was a a Saturday. And so uh, we borrowed a friend of ours' car. It was this gorgeous green Honda Accord. It had... um, I think it had, like, 260,000 miles. And is that right? It was something like that. And so we get this car, and I was excited. I, I love to drive. I hadn't driven a car in, like, six months. Um, we were driving with the windows down. It was a glorious day. We, we go upstate. I don't remember what we did. And then we were heading back, and on the freeway, on the way back, the car just shuts off. And then it, like, turns back on, and then it just shuts off. And I'm like, this is not good, and so anyway, we got we got lucky. Um, it ended up like dying, but uh, I was able to get it to this gas station, um, and um, we got it to the gas station. We found someone that could come and, and fix the car. Um, it, it was a. Uh, it ended up being the alternator on the car, and I called I called our friends, and I'm like, you know, like. 260,000 miles. Like, do you really want to get this thing fixed? You want me to just leave it here with these people? You know, like maybe get like a 500 bucks from it or something. Um, and they were like, no, let's, let's fix it. And in that moment, uh, there's two ways to handle this scenario, right? Um, if we're going to get it fixed, we can pay for it or they can pay for it, right? Um, or, you know, we, we split it somehow, but the point is, is that, um, and we, pay, we ended up paying for it, but the point is, is that all options, um, the cost of the alternator must be handled by someone, right? We're paying for it or, or they're paying for it. Someone must bear the cross. The cost, not the cross. <laughs> that, 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 that wouldn't work. Someone must bear the cost. In this example forgiveness means someone takes the load, right? Someone bears the cost. And in this sense, we understand that forgiveness is actually really costly. It's costly. Now, this is this example is sort of benign in one sense because um, it's about money, but add the weight of relationship and emotion and forgiveness becomes even more costly. Um, imagine it this way. Imagine you have a friend um, that talks about you behind your back, right? They um, slander your character. They say horrible things about you, um, that you're a failure. I don't know what they say about you, but it starts to build, right? They're talking about you behind your back. That emotion is gonna build, right? And in your heart, resentment is gonna come. But say in this scenario, um, you find out about it, and then that person knows that you know. And they call you and they say, I'm so sorry for what I did, what I said behind your back. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you, you probably meant it, right? Like you, you said those things. But here's a scenario where you've been wronged and the other person on the other side of you has incurred a debt to you that must be dealt with, right? Um, what you might call an injustice to you. What are the options for you? You can do the same to them, right, and seek revenge by tarnishing uh, their reputation. You can try and make them feel as you feel, right? Um, try to make them suffer like you're suffering. The problem with revenge is that it actually ends up growing like a cancer inside of yourself rather than uh, the other person, right? The other option is you forgive, and forgiveness in, in this sense is, is refusing to make them pay for what they did. And so forgiveness is actually a form of suffering. You forego the temporary consolation of inflicting pain on someone else, and what do you do? You absorb the debt, right? Forgiveness doesn't just uh, make the deed go away, but forgiveness actually means that something or someone is absorbing that cost because it's costly. Doing wrong to someone is costly and maybe you just pause for a second and say well you know I was always told like just forgive and forget right just just move on Well, you you can't just move on when there's an injustice when there's a a real weight or a, a real evil and so you actually have to deal with it someone actually has to to bear the weight of it Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this my brother's burden which I must bear is not only his outward lot his natural characteristic and gifts, but quite literally his sin. And the only way to bear that sin is by forgiving it in the power of the cross of Christ in which I now share. Thus, the call to follow Christ always means a call to share the work of forgiving men their sins. Forgiveness is the Christ-like suffering which it is the Christian's duty to bear. And so why did Jesus have to die because in order to forgive someone, someone had to incur a debt, and he was willing to take on the weight of that. And maybe, maybe the easiest way to think of it is forgiveness is really costly. It costs God the life of his son, Jesus. And that was the, the, the burden, right? There was real wrongdoing on our part uh, in, in the part of the world, and the debt needed to be paid. And at the cross, Jesus shed his blood taking on those injustices in and of himself. And so the cross and genuine forgiveness. Next, the cross and sacrificial love. And I think we just, I feel as though this is sort of innate in each of us. Relationships of love always require sacrifice. Relationships of love always require sacrifice. Uh, There's a great picture of this um, in Harry Potter Um, Spoiler alert! All right, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. It came out in 1998, so I feel as though I'm allowed to do this. Um, But Harry's mom sacrifices her life, right? Uh, The villain Voldemort comes and tries to kill Harry, but um, Voldemort can't touch Harry, right? And um, even when he does, remember, um, Harry is a baby. um, But when Voldemort comes to touch him, he experiences a torturous pain. And in book five, Harry goes to Dumbledore, his mentor, and he says. Why couldn't he touch me? You like this? This is pretty good, huh? (laughs) Thank you, Jules. I appreciate it. Here's what Albus Dumbledore says. I knew this would land. Your mother died to save you. If there's one thing Voldemort cannot understand, it is love. He didn't realize that love as powerful as your mother's for you leaves its own mark. Not a scar, not a visible sign to have been loved so deeply even though the person Who loved us is gone will give us some protection forever it's a beautiful idea of a sacrifice of a mother right I was thinking about this this week Um, my my kids particularly my son um, he's growing increasingly independent but he's very very dependent right he uh, he needs his diaper changed you have to feed him you have to dress him um, I'm slowly teaching him things, right? But over time, um, he'll grow independent, but by and large, he's 100% dependent on me. And one of the things that's so interesting about being a parent is that um, you uh, choose to forego your own independence for the sake of your child. And in the same way, you um, this is this is sacrifice right if you um if you want your children to grow up in a healthy environment then you have to make the sacrifice of uh, of parenting them right your time your attention um, to forego my own selfishness and the point is is that i make the sacrifice um, or we make the sacrifice as parents um in a redemptive way or um, what actually happens in some scenarios, which I, I hope this isn't true of you, is that the child makes um, the sacrifice in a non-redemptive way, right? In a destructive way. And the world, I think, is so desperate for understanding this form of sacrificial love. But what is sacrificial love? Sacrificial love is is foregoing what I want for the sake of someone else, right? If you understand the... the, the um, the marriage relationship what are you saying in marriage you're saying i forego what i want and what i desire for what you want and for what you desire right you before me and that's sacrificial love and it's uh it's answered at the cross all right so jesus um, died in our place he did so out of love the the cross and genuine forgiveness the cross and sacrificial love and then lastly we'll, we'll finish here the cross in our community And I guess the the last point um, is more of a question in a lot of ways. How is it that uh, a community can be shaped around the cross? Forgiveness and sacrificial love. How can a group of people uh, orient their life around something like this? What would that look like? And um, I just want to ingest this passage from um, Philippians chapter 2. I think it answers um, the question so perfectly. Um, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 8. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Hear this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If we're really grasping the cross, then we're humbled. If we're really grasping the cross, then we're going to be uh, re-motivated, right? We're, we're not going to be saying, oh, I have to serve. Oh, I have to give. But we actually get to say, I get to do these things. I get to do these. If we're really grasping the cross, then we experience mercy and love like we've, we've never seen. And so how do we do that, right? Like, how do we um, become messengers of the cross, like um, people that are doing the work of reconciliation, right? How do we get to do that as a community? I'll just leave you um, with this verse from uh, Matthew 10, verse 8. Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. What does it mean? It means you let the blood of Jesus flow from the cross and you let it leave you white as snow. Uh, Your sin as far as the east is from the west. And let what Jesus did on the cross forgive you, pardon you, purchase your forgiveness, reconcile you to the Father. And what does it mean? Freely receive that and then turn around and give that away. Give out forgiveness. Sacrifice for others your time, your resources, your talents, listening to others, serving others, eating with others. And let that be a cycle. Right, freely you have received. When you feel empty, receive from the Father and then give away. Freely I receive, freely I give. And so let's come to the table this morning as a tangible reminder, as an embodied expression of what we believe, the bread, Christ's body broken for us, and then the cup, Christ's blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So I'm gonna pray if, you, uh, if the elements wanna come forward um, and then we'll uh, we'll come and get this and partake together. So, Lord, I love you, and I thank you, Father, for um, these elements that remind us of the work that you've done, the ways that you um, love, that you, God, are purchasing our forgiveness, that you're doing the work, that you have accomplished this good work on the cross. And Father, I pray um, this morning that it would not—it um, would not be a benign work, but it would be something that truly impacts who we are as people. That it would be something that really resonates deep in who we are. And so, Lord, we love you, and we give you this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.